Hello and welcome. Greetings from the Offensive Security Group at Secure IT 360, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. It's Friday, so it's time for our week in review. Every week, our offensive security team is tracking, researching, and analyzing threats, vulnerabilities, exploits, and techniques with the purpose of keeping you up to date on what's relevant and important in the industry this week. So you can be more more prepared today than you were yesterday to protect your organization. And just like last week, today we have myself, Spencer, and Tyler here to talk about this week's uh, Week in Review Threat Intel Brief. So Tyler, happy to have you again. Uh, thanks for here. joining us. Awesome. Cool. So we have four stories this week, uh, four topics kind of this week to talk about. Uh, the first one is Gootloader and GootKit. So Gootloader and GootKit have uh, been making their rounds on the internet uh, this past week. There was uh, actually a really good article by the Defer Report last week, uh, We but we picked it up, did some analysis on it. Um, and we're kind of reviewing it uh, in preparation for this podcast. And combined with the Red Canary report uh, on the same topic, GooKit and GooLoader analysis, uh, those two made for a, a very nice uh, in-depth analysis uh, of that malware and, and that campaign. Uh, so for anybody who's not familiar with GooLoader and GooKit, uh, Defer Report has a good breakdown of it. Same with Red Canary, so I encourage you to go check out those articles. But essentially, the, the TLDR of the Defer report is the intrusion, uh, the Goot Kit, Goot Loader intrusion, uh, lasted about two days and, uh, and co- consisted of a number of different ten- techniques, including uh, network discovery, persistence, lateral movement, defense evasion, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, during the post-exploitation phase, there was a number of uh, familiar faces, we'll say, including RDP, WMI, Mimikatz, WMI exec, Sharphound even. So, um, you know, threat actors even were uh, seen searching sensitive documents and file shares and things like that. So the kind of the, the common culprits uh, were uh, coming up again in this article. One of the things, uh, Tyler, that I, I really liked about uh, both these articles is both the Defer Report article and the Red Canary article is both of them walk through the various techniques, the artifacts, and uh, they not only build detection opportunities, but they really provide a map for recreating those techniques so that you as the defender or red team or purple team can go and simulate what that threat actor would do in an environment so you can test your detections. I feel like that's invaluable to all security places now because, you know, just having mitigation so that you, you know, don't have to go through the whole process yourself. And then, you know, having those kind of ways to re-image that attack is also very useful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, uh, what I noticed reading the reports is, again, like I said at the top of the uh, this article is uh, or this section is a lot of these techniques that are being used time and time again are tried and true techniques. They're employed by pen testers and red teamers and attackers alike, right? Everything from bloodhound to uh, bloodhound for, you know, enumerating active directory to using RDP to pivot and move laterally using WMI for lateral movement, Mimi cats for credential access. So a lot of the tried and true things, um, which, 
you know, should give us hope. It kind of is a little bit demoralizing for us as defenders, but uh, it should give us hope as well that threat actors are still going to be using the path of least resistance. And there's still really good ways to defend against that and detect those things. Um, because if they're going to use, if, if they can use something out of the box and straightforward and it's the path of least resistance, uh, you know, many times that's, that's often what we see. A couple things come to mind in terms of mitigations for something like Gootloader uh, and Gootkit. Uh, the first is web and DNS content filtering. Something like Cisco Umbrella uh, or something similar where you can you can kind of deny, have a deny list or uh, have reputation built into a proxy. So you know that uh, you can block certain categories of domains. Um, suspicious domains. You can hopefully prevent some of the watering hole attacks um, that this malware campaign relies on. So uh, kind of backing up a bit, Gootloader relies on kind of SEO poisoning. They'll put like a like a suspicious ad on, or a malicious ad rather, on Google, and they'll try mm-hmm. and get it up to the top. They'll put the, the ad uh, on Google, and that link will go to a malicious website where that infection starts. So web DNS content filtering to help uh, weed out some of those suspicious domains, unsafe domains uh, is really helpful in this scenario. Um, The other thing I thought is interesting too, uh, as far as mitigation goes, um, is changing default file associations. So Gootloader, Gootkit, a lot of malware relies on execution of some sort of script file, like JScript or PowerShell even. Uh, and if you can change the execution from, uh, change the JScript execution from WScript to something like Notepad, then when you when a user clicks on that malicious file, it's just going to open it up in Notepad and it won't actually detonate it in a malicious way. So that's something you can do with group policy um, and you can do it with all sorts of file associate, associations. So you can, like I said, do it with... Um, PowerShell, you can do it with JScript and, and all sorts of fun stuff. So kind of an, uh, a cool way to mitigate that attack to some extent. And then I feel like at the end of the day, all these malwares and uh, ransomwares even rely on kind of the same core factor, which is always going to be users. You know, I feel like users are going to be your weakest link in every company. So, you know, just educating your users and teaching them how to spot, you know, suspicious looking ads or you know even things that come up in search results documents that they get sent just making sure your users are educated kind of on what's safe and what isn't safe um will help cut down a lot of this as well yeah definitely and there's a there's a an article a story that uh, and some research that was released this past week that that you're going to talk about later on in the episode that's going to bring that that uh user education piece up again so definitely agree and you know threat actors uh criminals they will find a way in uh if macros get blocked they'll find a different way if uh you know they can't execute jscript they'll find another way you know there will always be a way in and you know uh it's up to uh, many times like you said on users to kind of be aware of what's going on and to some extent right it doesn't it's not completely on their shoulders but they should be aware um, and know some of the red flags and the warning signs. So, uh, again, like I said, just to round out this section, 
Red Canary has some really great detection opportunities um, and some pseudo analytics in their article. And the defer report uh, has some really good ideas for, uh, or present some really good artifacts that you can build detections off of as well, specifically for Gootloader, but it's also applicable for just code execution in general with things like JScript executing from zip files and, and stuff like that. So really good stuff, good stuff. The next story uh, is Petit Patam. So uh, long live Petit Patam, I think is the common saying this week and, and last week and past few months. Uh, so there was a, a Microsoft patch issued to address this. Uh, it's It was given CVE 2022-26925. Uh, it was attempted to be patched by Microsoft um, last year. And that was CVE 2021-36942. And the long story short of this is the Petit Patam patch was released sometime around August last year and then reintroduced. The vulnerability was reintroduced sometime uh, around December, uh, I think is what researchers in the internet is kind of talking about. So uh, they had a patch. They kind of tried to... uh, patch something else and it, it got regressed and then the vul- vulnerability existed uh, until it was patched just re- recently. Now the big hubbub about this this one is that the patch caused uh, some issues on domain controllers. S- just yesterday on the 19th, Microsoft has issued an out-of-band update to address that. So hopefully that patch is a little bit better and will kind of plug that hole a bit. At the time of this uh, recording, it does appear, and, and prior to this out-of-band patch, it does appear that the uh, the authenticated version of Petit Patam uh, still works without the recommended mitigations to RPC. So w- one of the mitigations that the uh, organization called CERT recommended is to build or block the uh, RPC filters that Petit, the Petit Patam attack uses. So that seems to be a good mitigation. It seems to, uh, according to researchers, it does prevent the Petit Patam attack. Um, but I don't expect NTLM relay, I don't expect these types of attacks to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, this is something that's been around for, for a bit now, and I think it'll continue to be around. The mitigations are not straightforward, and... Microsoft, much to their chagrin, some of this is just how Windows operates and how NTLM authentication works. Uh, so disabling NTLM, you know, might not be realistic for for many organizations. So this is a tricky one. Um, the good news again is there are ways to detect and um, pick up on this activity in a network. Yeah, it does sound like a harder one to patch because it feels like with every new patch they put out, something else breaks. So, yeah. Yeah, and the, the mitigations by CERT are pretty good. And if you can block uh, RPC, uh, the specific RPC filters that Petit Patam uses, that's a, that's a viable strategy. Uh, however, it, it it's not as cut and dry as that, right? And there's other things uh, to consider with this. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's really, that's really all I can think of to, to say on that one. Um, We'll see that one live on for quite some time, I suspect. 
All right. The next, uh, next article, next story comes from Huntress. So this one I thought was really good. Uh, I was really enjoyed reading this. Um, I picked up uh, a couple techniques myself and added those to my tool belt. So really like this. The core of this article uh, was essentially a tabletop exercise of sorts where uh, there's a scenario that's presented in the article that you wake up at 2 a.m. There is a indication of a suspicious uh, activity going on on a critical server in your environment. And then the author walks you through some of the key steps to take when investigating the activity, how to see who's logged in, what activity is being done, what processes are running. And uh, the author provides some PowerShell commands, some scripts to run that can help you identify further suspicious activity, see if uh, there's any uh, other uh, suspicious logins throughout the network for specific accounts and things like that. And then ultimately, they give you steps to that you can take to evict the the bad actor from your environment. So I thought it was a really cool, unique article. I think it could be a good exercise for teams to run is these very unique scenario driven things like what happens if we see activity on X, Y and Z? You know, what do we do? How do we respond uh, and go through kind of the IR lifecycle uh, and kind of tabletop that with your team? I think those kinds of things can be super helpful. And this article is kind of uh, an indication or a roadmap, uh, an example of, of how to do that. I feel like that's invaluable to defenders because, I mean, it's just a replication of what a lot of times we see when companies do get ransomware is, that, you know, 2 a.m., somebody knocks on the door and, you know, who answers, what do you do when you answer, you know, kind of what your response is. And so being able to kind of hone in on what to do when you do see it legitimate, you know, Yep. malicious logins and malicious activity on your network could be really helpful. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just like uh, sports. I think, you know, it seems to be similar to me. It's that it's like you practice and you train and you drill and then you get better at that thing. And then you also realize the gaps that you have in your process. So maybe it's, you know, we have a gap in, in detection. Uh, maybe we don't have good network visibility and we noticed that there was, you know, C2, C2 command and control traffic going through that we didn't realize until after the fact. Mm-hmm. So maybe as part of this exercise, we identify that ahead of time so that if we do get a real uh, incident, you know, we're prepared to analyze that and track that activity down. So uh, I think it's all around a good idea. And that's something we do. Uh, our ISO team does is we do instant response program development. We do tabletop exercises. Uh, so it's something I definitely encourage the technical folks do to do as well for those reasons. Agreed. Uh, cool. So the next one's yours, Tyler. It's the yep. floor is yours. Um, the last article that we had came from Veronis. Um, it was spoofing software as a service vanity URLs for social engineering attacks. And they did a write up on this and kind of honed in on three companies as examples that, um, you know, you could kind of spoof these URLs on. And so, um, you know, everybody wants to do what they can to stand out in the current online landscape. Uh, part of, part of that includes making your own vanity URLs to look different and kind of just be easy to remember for your customers. 
And so for those of you who don't know what a vanity URL is, it's uh, it's just a URL that you can customize to be easy to remember and represent your brand. So for example, instead of it being, you know, just app.google.com, you could do yourcompany.google.com or example.com. And so what people need to know is that some applications don't check the legitimacy of the vanity URL subdomain. Rather, they just check the URI. So, for example, the vanity's URL subdomain would be yourcompany.example.com, and the URI would be what follows in suite after that. So, yourcompany.example.com slash r slash one, two, three, you know, whatever comes after that, um, you know, is what they kind of check the legitimacy of instead of that subdomain, which makes it susceptible to spoofing. So, this does create a risk. It means that a threat actor can spoof the subdomain in that vanity URL and uh, since it's not validated. And then <clears throat> kind of what Veronis was pointing out is they did testing for applications that are vulnerable to this and found, you know, three in particular they did testing on were Box, Google, and Zoom. And for Box, they found that an attacker can spoof Box file sharing URLs and Box public file sharing requests. And then for Google, they found that an attacker can spoof Google Form URLs and Google Docs URLs. And then for Zoom, they found that an attacker can spoof Zoom recording URLs and Zoom webinar registration URLs. And so kind of the commonality between all of these is these are all links that people are getting sent regularly. You know, I want to share this document with you. How am I going to do it? I'm just going to shoot you a Google Doc. And so, you know, attackers are kind of taking advantage of this that, you know, People are used to seeing links like Google links and Zoom links. And so, you know, if I can spoof that and then have it redirect you somewhere malicious or, you know, kind of get my malicious intent with it, you know, why wouldn't I? And then um, so the good news from this is that Box has mitigated all vulnerabilities associated with spoofing these URLs. Google still has bugs in cases when the publish the web feature is enabled on both the docs and the forms. Um, and in Zoom, you know, um, unfortunately, spoofing is still an issue with Zoom, but the good news is that the user will get a warning before they can proceed. So, you know, kind of in summary, uh, software as a service, vanity URLs do, there are a lot of good, you know, um, customizable, easy to remember, and, you know, they just make everything more personal. But with that being said, they can also present risk if they can be spoofed. So the takeaway is that employees and customers need to be educated on these types of attacks, especially since they're becoming, you know, more common in our current threat landscape because attackers are just trying to get in any hole they can. So, you know, users and users are a big, big hole in every environment, I feel like. And just to kind of help inform them to help uh, prevent them from submitting PII and forms that could be spoofed and also teaching them not to trust everything that looks legitimate on yep. the internet. Yeah, just like we were saying earlier is, you know, teaching users that uh, vanity URL spoofing is a thing and kind of the red flags and how to identify it and kind of giving it, teaching users how to how to do the smell test on a, on a link, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, us uh, IT folks, us security people, technically savvy people, uh, I think we've developed a kind of a, a sense for this, right? A smell test of like, oh, this doesn't look right, doesn't sound right, doesn't smell right kind of thing. So if we can teach that to users, I think, uh, you know, it, it'll be beneficial and help them out. And, 
this is not exclusive to Box or Google or Zoom, right? There's thousands and hundreds of thousands, you know, unlimited amounts of SaaS products out there that that allow you to uh, create a vanity URL. I mean, that's just a that's a thing, you know, in in SaaS products and white labeling and stuff like that. So that's a thing. So be on the lookout for that and and teach your users, educate them on on the red flags and and how to identify these. Uh, cause we'll see this continue time and time again. And don't let this prevent you from using vanity URLs because I mean, yeah. everybody wants to look, you know, different than their competitors. So we encourage vanity URLs. If you want to use them, just like we said, you know, kind of the takeaway just to be educating your users and customers of these kind of attacks. Yep, definitely. It's, it's table stakes. You know, it's one of those things that, uh, will continue to be used in different shapes and forms, vanity URLs, that is. So, um, yeah, it's all good. Sweet. Well, that's everything that we have for you guys today. If you enjoyed this episode or if you got any values from this, uh, please share it. Give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Like, thumbs up, follow, subscribe, and all that fun stuff. It helps us out a lot. Um, Also, be sure to check us out on our blog as well at offset.blog. And thanks and have a great day, everybody. Thanks, everybody.